everybody. Welcome to the Toowoomba Vineyard Church podcast. We are a brand new church here in Toowoomba, Queensland, and we are discovering the joy of following Jesus together. If you want to find out more about what we're up to, stick around at the end for the details. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of God and Really, what that message was, was what is, this, what is the center of Christianity? What is this Christianity thing all about? And we learned that when we read through the Gospels and we read through the life of Jesus, what he tells us is that our faith, the reason we're here, it's all about God's coming kingdom. And we had this analogy, uh, which was, was really helpful. We talked about... Um, in, back in Roman days, something that would have been very familiar to Jesus' audience was when the Romans would come and conquer or they, when they'd win a decisive battle and they'd win a new territory, they'd send out a herald to go ahead to all of the towns and to proclaim the good news of the Roman victory. And what Jesus did is he kind of co-opted that language. And when he came, he came to proclaim not the Roman kingdom was arriving, but God's kingdom. And we talked about what God's kingdom is like. And we read from the end of the Bible where God is making all things new, where he comes back to be with his people once and for all. And in Revelation 21, he says, behold, I'm making all things new. And if you want to understand what sits right at the center of the Christian message, if you want to know what we're here for, it's because God is making all things new. uh, And he invites us to partner with him in doing that. Uh, And we very, very briefly brushed over the problem that that presents, which is if God is making things new, if Jesus loves to heal people and set people free, why is that not our reality more often? Um, You know, we when we read through the stories of Jesus, Jesus always knew what to do. He whenever he prayed for someone, they got healed. Whenever he spoke to someone, they left full of joy and full of life. Why is that not our experience more often? You know, sometimes we see God break in. We see God's kingdom come in power and we go and we celebrate. And we go, that's amazing. And then sometimes we'll pray and pray and pray and still people die. People get sick. Uh, people get away with doing the most horrible things and we cry out for justice and we don't see it. And, and we worship a God who is making all things new and has these incredible promises And yet sometimes we just don't see that. Why is that? So what I want to do today is I want to just very briefly talk through the theology of that, like the the kind of um, the principle that helps us understand why that's the case. But then I want to spend most of today talking about how we actually live as God's church in in this in-between period. So, Jen, can you just flick to the third slide, please? Yes, I can. (laughs) <laughs> let's go back to our herald yes where we've we've worked out a way we can present them without needing to beam them so i'm feeling very clever right now it's great tag teaming um let's go back to our analogy of the roman herald for a moment because when the herald stands up in the center of a town and declares um the, the new sovereignty the, of the new king of caesar it's not until the army comes in and marches through the town that that kind of gets, that that becomes the reality for the town. And so what you find is you have this in-between period where some people might say, 
well, you know, I'm not going to bow down to the Romans. I'm not into that. And other people might say, well, the victory's won, so we might as well get on board. And there's, there's this kind of tension, isn't there, where the sovereignty of that town belongs to Rome, but the reality isn't, isn't going to happen until Rome arrives in all its splendor. And that's exactly what we find ourselves in now. So we have the, the, the current age, the, the age where sin and brokenness and death and injustice reign supreme. We have that kind of coming. And then when Jesus dies on the cross and when he rises again in the resurrection, he starts this new age where all things are being made new. But rather than, rather than you know, that's just a future promise for later, or rather than saying, uh, well, the, the old world's done, done with and everything's, you know, wonderful all the time, we actually have both of these realities at the same time. And that's what we see on this diagram is that at the moment of Jesus' resurrection, the new order, the new way of being starts to break in, but it's not in its fullness. And so we exist in this time, which I would call, um, and in the words of a a scholar named George Eldon Ladd, uh, we would call it the, the now and the not yet. And so when you ask these questions, you say, why isn't, why don't we see God in all his splendor breaking through whenever we pray? It's because we live in the now and the not yet. Sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't. The, when you see it drawn up like that in that diagram, in some ways it makes the principle kind of easy to understand. You go, okay, well, look, you know, we're always going to seek God for, for breakthrough. We're always going to seek him for justice and healing and mercy. And sometimes we're going to see it, sometimes we don't. It's easy to understand the theology of that, but living that out is very difficult. Um, because it's this isn't just a theology. This isn't just a, a concept. This is actually that this speaks to the the most profound, the most beautiful, and the most painful moments of our lives. This determines, as a church, how do we respond when people when people die? How do we respond when we pray for people and we don't see healing? Um, and so that's rather than just talk about the theology here, that's why I want to spend most of today talking about how we actually do this in practice. And I can't think of a better example of this in the scriptures uh, than when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So if you have a Bible handy, open it up to John chapter 11. Now, while you're finding it, I'll just I'll just fill you in a little bit. The, the first kind of half of John's gospel is uh, is taken up by this series of culminating signs. So Jesus performs different miracles, and there are seven of them, and they kind of build up and up and up and up. And then this is the seventh miracle. And this passage you're about to read, this is the turning point in Jesus' ministry according to John's gospel. So let's just read together. So we're going to start John uh, chapter 11. I'm going to read from the NLT, but you can follow on whichever version you have. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So I just want to call out here that Mary, Martha and Lazarus, they're a family and they have a very good friendship with Jesus. So it's just important to remember at this point that Lazarus is a dear friend of Jesus. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. 
So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he, had, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world. But at night, there's danger and stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will truly believe. Come, let's go and see him. Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Good old Thomas. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people who had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Uh, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said out loud this out loud for the sake of those people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in his grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, it, it's a reasonably long passage. Um, but the thing that stands out to me clearly from this is the fact that Jesus just 
raise someone from the dead. Like, isn't that incredible? But did you notice that Jesus raising him from the dead takes two verses? And we've just read uh, 40, yeah, we've just read 44 verses and the actual miracle only takes two verses. And it only takes three, three words for Jesus to call Lazarus out of the grave. Um, and so there's, there are a lot, of, let's think about the other 42 verses for a second. They actually raise a lot of questions for me. You know, why did Jesus delay? Why did, why did he let Lazarus die and, and put his, his family through all of that? Why did Jesus weep at Lazarus' grave when he knew that he was about to be raised from the dead? He knew what was going to happen. And <laughs> to be perfectly honest, why doesn't this happen when I say Lazarus come out? You know, when I pray for someone, why don't I see them healed in the same way? What we do see and what I am very sure about is that in this moment, Jesus is giving us a masterclass in how to navigate the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And so the structure of this, the other 42 verses, is it basically takes the form of, of three different conversations that Jesus had. And so what we're going to do now, we're going to go through each of those three conversations uh, and we're going to see what, see what he has to teach us about navigating the now and not yet of the kingdom. So the first conversation we see here is we see Lazarus talking with his disciples. So j- someone comes to Jesus, sent from Mary and Martha. He says, Lazarus is sick. Please come and see him. Now, it's clear from, to us in this passage that Jesus has a deep love um, for these friends, but he delays for two days. And that seems like a really strange thing to do. Um, there's a whole thing about, um, you know, the, the danger involved in going back where Jesus is, you know, almost being stoned. But we're going to kind of very casually brush over that. Um, and we're going to ask about why it is that Jesus chose to delay. Now, we actually get two different accounts of why Jesus gives us two slightly different reasons. The first one is he says, um, it's so that in verse five, he says, so that the son of God will receive glory from this. And then a little bit later when the disciples, uh, he's, he tells the disciples very clearly that, Jesus, uh, that Lazarus is dead. Um, he says, it's so that you will really believe. Now, if you, if you were, are reading this and you are desperate for God to do something in your life, it would be very easy to read it and go, okay, well, Jesus, Jesus brings the kingdom. He brings the healing. He brings the breakthrough when it will glorify him. Or, he's, or you know, you might read from that second one, Jesus heals us when our faith needs to be increased or, or when something like that uh, needs to happen. And I don't think that reading the Bible this way is particularly helpful. You see, what we have here is we have Jesus in a specific situation giving specific reasoning for what he's doing. And it's so easy to take this and say, well, that's, that's, and take one event and, and establish a pattern from that and say, well, that's how Jesus works. So, you know, obviously let's put together, you know, let's, let's, when someone's suffering, when we're trying to explain why someone's struggling and we're not seeing the kingdom, let's go back to this verse and use these reasons. The problem here is, and, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but in verse five, when he says, I'm doing this so that the son of God will re- receive glory. It kind of sounds to me like Jesus is saying, I'm doing this to, to kind of show off, like to prove that I'm the Messiah, like to read it very cr- crudely. It kind of just sounds like Jesus is trying to show off. Um, and, you know, when, when we see 
the kingdom not coming. When we, when we are struggling with the not yet, it's so easy to go, well, you know, and explain it away and come up with reasons why Jesus might be doing what he's doing. And I'm sure that that's what it sounded like for the disciples as well. But this is why context is so important in the scripture, because if you keep reading past verse 44, we actually learn that this is the moment in Jesus' ministry that begins the chain of events that lead to his death. And so when he's saying, I'm doing this so that the Son of God may receive glory, the accepted interpretation of that among scholars is Jesus is saying, I'm doing this because this is going to lead me to the cross. He's not saying, I'm doing this to, to glorify myself and show off. He's saying, I'm doing this because by raising him from the dead, it's going to begin the chain of events that's going to take me to the cross. And the point that I'm trying to make here, the thing that I think we need to understand is it's so easy to try and fill in the blanks when God doesn't show up in the way we expect him to. It's so easy to try and come up with ideas or theology or say, you know, God's testing your faith or he wants you to, to pray harder or he wants to teach you to something. And, and sometimes you might be right, but sometimes you might be totally wrong. And so as a church community, I wonder if we would be people who would be willing to sit in those moments where Jesus waits for two days, where Jesus is delaying, where he's not answering our prayers in the way we expect. Would we be a people who'd be willing to not know the explanation uh, and to, to be willing to sit in that anyway? Because we don't always know. We don't always. Jesus sees the full picture. We don't always see the full picture. Let's move to our second conversation. And this is with uh, one of the sisters, Martha. So Jesus is on his way uh, to Bethany and uh, Martha comes and meets him on the road, falls at his feet and said, Jesus, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And isn't that the cry of our hearts when, when we don't see the kingdom come, when we pray and pray and we don't see Jesus come through? We say, where were you? Where were you, Jesus? If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. Where were you? Um, and, and Jesus says, don't worry, your, your brother will, will rise again. And Mary, uh, sorry, Martha reads into that and says, uh, yeah, you know, of course, he'll rise again on the last day at, at the resurrection. But Jesus says, no, 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 I am the resurrection and the life, which is a beautiful statement. But I don't know if you noticed this, but um, when, when Jesus says this, he actually then goes to, on to say two contradictory things. Um, where is it? He says, um, I am the resurrection of the life. Uh, and then he, go, he basically goes on to say, uh, number one, if you believe in me, then you'll never die. Number two, even though you die, you'll still have life. Do you notice how those two things are actually contradictory? Um, this is one of those moments where looking into the original language can be really helpful because if you, the word used for resurrection here is talking about physical resurrection. It's saying, Jesus is saying, I'm the physical resurrection of your body. And then he says, I'm the life. And the Greek word used for life there is, is like the fullness of life. Like when you have life in abundance, that's the kind of life he's talking about. And so he's saying, I'm not just a physical resurrection and I'm not just a spiritual life. I'm actually both of those things. And I think the thing to learn here is sometimes when we sometimes when we think about the kingdom, sometimes when we don't see God come through, we can do one or two things. We can either over-spiritualize it and go, well, 
you know, it doesn't, the physical doesn't really matter because it's just about a spiritual reality. Or we can do the opposite. We can say, well, it was, it's all about the physical. And if we don't see God come through in the physical, then he hasn't come through. And Jesus doesn't leave space for that here. Jesus is the God of both physical resurrection. He is the God of, of our physical bodies. Like his, when Jesus shows up, it doesn't just affect us in a spiritual way. It affects us spiritually and physically. And he's not, but he's not just the God of the physical either. Like he comes and he brings us life and life to the full as well. And so, again, I wonder if we could be a church who are willing to embrace both of those things, the physical and the spiritual. So let's, uh, let's turn to our final conversation, uh, which, is, uh, which is Jesus chatting to Mary at the grave of Lazarus. And in many ways for me, this is the one that brings this whole topic home of the now and the not yet. Um, so let me tell you what he doesn't do. Jesus doesn't show up and declare victory over the spirit of death and say, stop crying, I'm going to raise him from the dead. He doesn't do that, does he? You know, sometimes that's kind of how we approach healing in the church. And, and the problem with that is that it just doesn't recognize the depth of grief that this family and these friends are experiencing in this moment. Jesus doesn't march in and tell them to stop crying. He weeps with them. Now, it's, it's a strange thing to do, isn't it? Because clearly from earlier in the passage, Jesus knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Like he knows his friend is going to be alive in just a few minutes. And yet he comes and he weeps with them. Now, there, I think there are probably a, a number of different reasons we can give for why he does that. I think some of it we have to acknowledge is his own grief and heartbreak in that moment. You know, a a, a couple of words earlier, it says a deep anger welled up within Jesus. Like imagine being in a moment of your own pain and heartbreak and knowing that Jesus looks on that and is furious. Like the God of the universe is angry at your heartbreak. Like not at you, but at, at the situation. You know, isn't that incredible? But I think the other thing that Jesus is doing is he's actually recognizing the pain that this family, that these sisters are going through at the loss of their brother, and he's choosing to to come alongside them and share in their grief. And what he's showing us here, what he's practicing is what I think is a lost art in the Western church, which is the art of lament. We like I think we understand worship. We understand praise and healing and celebration, and we have no idea how to mourn as the church, but that's part of our calling. Like if you read through the Bible, it's very difficult to look over all the different Psalms we have of lament. It's difficult to look past the book of Lamentations, an entire book of the Bible that shows us how to mourn. Um, I had this, I was, I was awake late at night the other night. I was thinking about this morning and I had this funny thought. Um, you know, we loved, in the, particularly in the charismatic church, we love healing services. Like get everyone together and we pray together and we worship and contend for healing what if we also had uh, like lamenting services? Like let's all get together. Let's get everyone who is weeping and mourning and, and sad and struggling and let's put on some, some sad music and cry together. Like imagine, like what a thought exercise, right? Like imagine if we actually did that, but how beautiful and how dignified would that be for the people who are weeping and mourning? I think one of the most awful things the church can do is, is convince you that you have to put on a brave and happy face to show up to church. Like that's, that's so contrary to the kingdom of God. Church should be a place where you can come and celebrate 
and it should be a place you can come and weep and weep and weep. And we have room for both. And that's exactly what Jesus, it's the shortest, it's famously the shortest verse in the Bible that says Jesus wept, but it's one of the most profound. Isn't it wonderful that we have a king who, despite knowing, uh, it, knowing our future resurrection, despite knowing the plans he has, is still willing to sit and weep with us? What a wonderful, wonderful king. You know, this theology that we have on, in this diagram uh, behind us, oh, you were following along in the Bible. That was very clever. Yeah. Oh, how helpful. Thank you. I didn't even realize. This, this theology we have is so important, and this is something that's really core to who we are as the Vineyard Movement. Um, we are a, a movement who understand that, that's, yes, sometimes we, see the fu- sometimes we see God's future reality breaking into our present situation in the most wonderful ways. And I've kind of, because of the passage, I've sort of focused a little bit on healing. But it's not just about seeing healing. It's about seeing justice for, for awful situations. It's about seeing reconciliation for broken families and broken relationships. You know, it's seeing, um, it's seeing people find joy um, who, who mourn. It's about all the things that we read about last week in that passage from Isaiah. It's about all of those things. Sometimes we see the kingdom and we celebrate and it's just the most extraordinary thing. And sometimes we get left with the most awful heartbreak and we have to learn how to mourn together as a church, as, as families. I wonder if we could be like Jesus uh, as a church, we could be like Jesus in this moment where he beautifully navigates all of the, uh, all of the, the feelings and the emotions and the gravity of this situation while also bringing not just physical resurrection, but, but, but also bringing life. Hi, Davey. Nice to see. Let's not hit each other. Let's be a church where we don't hit each other either. (laughs) And so just to really briefly recap these three conversations, um, firstly, let's, like, like, um, like we learned from that first conversation with the disciples, let's not be a people who try and explain away suffering or just try and fill in the blanks unnecessarily. You know, there is a wonderful, um, you know, there is a space for trying to ask the question why and asking that together. I'm not saying there isn't, but let's not, let's not, when we see suffering, when we see pain, let's not try and just fill in the, the gaps and explain it away. Let's be willing to actually embrace the unknown and realize that while Jesus has the full picture, we don't always have the full picture. Secondly, from that second convers- uh, conversation with Martha, let's realize that this, this kingdom business, it's not just a spiritual reality. And it's not just a physical reality, but it's actually both of those things. It's about heaven and earth coming together as one. And that's the picture we have in Revelation 21. At the end of Scripture, we see heaven coming to earth and people getting to experience God face to face. And finally, let's be a people who can earnestly pray and seek God's kingdom to come in the now. And then when it doesn't, um, who know how to lament, who know how to weep together. Something I find really interesting is that, um, like, I think about the worship songs. Like, I could probably, like, sing you a hundred worship songs. Uh, you know, like, I won't. I won't. But I probably could. Uh, you know, Jen and I have been leading worship a long time. And I can only think of, I, I had to think about this. I can only think of two songs of lament that, that are in the, the common, you know, that, that, we would, that we would have in our, our chord charts. And, um, and so we sang one of them this morning. That was a really intentional choice. Um, that my friend Matt's song, um, you know, it starts, you may not take away the trials that I face, 
and it might take time to heal the hurt and pain, but ever you are by my side. And um, I just think, I think that's such a beautiful, that song is such a beautiful expression of the now and the not yet. Um, but it also finishes by declaring the heal- that there's healing for the broken, there's a home for the lost, there's rest for the weary and dreams for the poor. So that's the tension that we sit in. That's the, these, these two contradictory things, re- realities that we have to hold at the same time as the church. And it's, it's hard to do that well, but I would love for us to be a community of people who, love to do, who, who learn how to do that and navigate that well and create space for both uh, the hope and the healing and the hurt and the heartbreak. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I would love to just open up. I think what what would be we'll invite God's Spirit, and we'll we'll just kind of wait on Him for a bit. But I think that it would be great to just come together and just whatever we need to pray for, whether it's um, healing or or hurt or heartbreak. I'd love to pray for that together. But let me pray for us all now, and then we'll invite God to come. Uh, Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you that you show us how to navigate hard situations. Um, and Lord, it's amazing that even though you knew Lazarus was about to rise, that you were still um, willing to sit with uh, his sisters in their grief. And Lord, we want to we learn how to do that really well. We don't ever want to um, get stuck in the now and, and we, we don't ever want to be hopeless. But also, Lord, we don't ever want to get so caught up in the, the world to come that we lose sight um, of the people who are still hurting in this world. And so, Lord, as you are building the culture of this church, even even now in these early gatherings, as you are building culture in this community, I want to pray that we would be a people who can navigate this well. Um, show us how to do that. We want to be a community where we want to create a space, Lord, where people can come hurt and broken uh, and cry all through the service, and that's fine. Lord, never, never let us be a place where anyone feels like they have to put on the brave face to come to church. Um, Lord, let us, let us embrace that as a community. And, um, and we know that in some, sometimes when we gather God, there are going to be people who are over, over, overjoyed and there are people who are right the opposite. And just show us how to do both well at the same time, Lord, because that's what it means to hold this tension. Mm. And so I'm, now I'm just going to invite God's spirit to come and, um, and just, just dwell in this place and we'll start a time of prayer ministry. Wow, you made it to the end. Good job. If you want to listen to more of our messages, just search out Toowoomba Vineyard Church wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also check out our website at tvc.org.au and find us on Insta at Toowoomba Vineyard. We'll chuck those links in the notes so you don't have to remember. That's all for now. Hope you have an excellent week.